Christ, the Son of the living God. We are smitten by our King. We're blown away by God in human flesh through Jesus. And God, we connect with that reality. And as we dive into the scriptures, I pray that we would connect to that realization today. That we would connect to the realization that there's but one God and he's revealed himself one way and he's revealed himself that one way through the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless your word as it goes forth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give God a hand praise for the day again. Ah, oh, man, this is, this is banging. This is banging um, what the Lord is doing. Um, today, we're going to dive into a, a verse-by-verse series of the book of John. But before we, before we dive into the text, something, something um, a show that I like to watch on BET kind of reminds me of what we're going to chop up today. The show is actually called The Chop Up. And on this show, The Chop Up, they, they showcase different issues that Africans deal with globally. Um, specifically, what African Americans deal with here, however, the issues pervade every ethnicity kind of that they talk about. But the last one that I watched, it was a new one, was a very, very interesting one. It, it was one on Tupac Shakur and talking about the anniversary of his death nine years ago. And I, I was particularly interested in this, in this episode because there were several things in the episode that, that just gripped me in relation to the topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, see, Tupac was being talked about by several people who deeply appreciated his life. Um, but what happened was, is Jada Pinkett, she grew up with him. Jada Pinkett Smith married the Will Smith. She, she was a big part of this interview. And in her being a big part of this interview, one of the things that she brought up was um, Tupac had a lot of depth to him. They, 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 she tried to talk about all of the poetic um, ability that he had that was beyond emceeing. Not only did she talk about his poetic ability, but she also talked about his artistic, him being an artisan and a mogul of sorts in his uh, giftedness to express himself through the arts. But she talked about how the depth of his ability to express himself through those arts specifically came from as he was growing up, his mother was a Black Panther, his pops was in there with it, and, 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 and he was reading all types of books. And she said, she's sad to say that he died early because she says in his early death, what, what, what bothered her about his early death is that we only saw a part of him. Now, and, and, and what was also interesting about it was that she said she tended to emphasize more the thug persona than all of the depth of all of the persona that he had within him. And I see that as very, very congruent and parallel to what we're going to talk about today. Um, Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about him being the word. Because many times we have done the same thing with Jesus. There's a lot of depth to him. There's a lot of depth with him pre, the, pre him even coming in human flesh. There's a lot of depth to Jesus even when he became human flesh, but then there's a lot of depth to him post him uh, going up with that human flesh and his glory of all of who he is 
tucked inside of that skin suit. And so I'd like today to spend a little time talking about an idea of the pre-existence of Jesus. But, 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 but verse by verse, that what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus Christ unplugged. And talking about Jesus Christ unplugged, we want to, we want to unplug all of the ways in which the world, we have plugged into the world and taken our P's and Q's from them in relation to who they believe Jesus Christ is, rather than us um, uh, saying we believe who Jesus Christ is based on a world's format, what we're going to do is we're going to unplug from that for a moment and begin to peer into Scripture to, to, to the Rakim of sorts of gospel writers. See, when Rakim came on the scene, he changed the game. John was the same way. Every other writer wrote on a whole bunch of different things about Jesus that were absolutely accurate. But John changed the game for writing about Jesus because he began to pick out particular things to focus on Jesus about. And so the thing that we want to talk about as a topic today, because I know some of y'all are taking notes and y'all love topics. We're going to talk about from riches to rags. From riches to rags. In, in, in John chapter 1, we, we see mo- one of the most prolific prologues of Jesus. In verses 1 through 5, hopefully we'll just deal with 1 through 5 only and not move on. It says, let's stand while we read the word. I'll read from the American Standard Version of the Bible. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we pray that we would comprehend it, <laughs> that we would plug in to you and unplug from everybody's, everybody else's view of you. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. John is a beautiful book in that it, it's, it's broken up into two parts. It's broken up into chapters a uh, 1 through 12, which focuses on the glory of Jesus Christ as God. But then v- chapters 13 and on focuses on uh, his pouring into his disciples the reality of the fact that he is God. And so as, as John is writing, let's take a look at John for a second. John, you have to understand, was, 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 was I, I heard one guy call him like Jesus' punk kid brother, like he was, John was like the little young boy that, 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 that hung around his pops and his, and his brother James, and he helped with their business. And, but when he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he became Jesus Christ's young boy. And, and in him becoming Jesus Christ's young boy, what, one of the things that he loved to do was lean upon Jesus, be all up on Jesus, because he loved Jesus. He, he, he loved having a relationship with this cat that was laced with all of this truth. Um, but it was so, it was so funny that as he walked with Jesus for these three years, little did he know that he was leaning on more than just flesh. 
that he was leaning on something even greater. And as he began to become an evangelist and begin to pour out this reality, one of the things that he wants to do is he didn't want to just start like the other art, like the other writers in Matthew, Mark, and Luke with Jesus um, in his flesh. But he wanted to start off with Jesus before he became flesh. I can see John, can't you see him writing this and being absolutely blown away that he slept on who he was leaning on. And, And now he's writing and he's beginning, he's beginning this thing and he's, he does something that no other writer had the audacity to do. He used three of the most scary words that you could use in the beginning. No other writer was bold enough, especially a Jewish one at that, to use those three words in beginning any type of writing. Because in the beginning goes back to Genesis. The first three words of that prologue was what? In the beginning. But John doesn't start with the beginning that Genesis starts with. John starts with a different beginning. John, John says differently in the beginning was the word. In, 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 in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. Genesis starts with God's activity in creation, but John starts with God before creation. What he does is he says, I know y'all got the creation record, but I want to, I'm, I'm putting a microphone up to God's throne in a brand spanking new interview with footage that you've never seen. And I'm holding it up to the one at the right hand of the father. And in the beginning was the word. The better translation of that is, the literal translation is, in the beginning, the word was. Was. Now, that word was almost seems like something started and something ended. But that's not what happened. If you understand the force of the Greek here, the force of the Greek here is in the beginning, the word had no beginning. In the beginning, the word just was. In other words... The word was never created. The word was never created. The word always existed. The word was, the word was, was, was in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. The word was somewhere around eternally. But let's look at the word. What, what does this idea of the word mean. Are you with me? See, John does something beautiful. He, he, he has double meaning going all the way through this text. It's going to be a little deep, so walk with me, but stay with me because we're trying to exalt Jesus. And so, and so it says, it, it, John, John, when he uses the word word, the word for word here is the word lagos. Can you say that? Lagos. Now, 
if a Greek hears the word lagos, stoic philosophers, these were philosophers who got on the corners of the streets and they had ciphers. And what they would do is they would go back and forth and like MCs in our day, get in a cipher and they begin to argue through MCing and through freestyle. They would freestyle um, wisdom. That's what they would do. And whoever presented their wisdom the best was the man. But what happened here was so dope is if a stoic philosopher hears the word lagos, see, lagos is the sum total in the Greek's mindset of all wisdom that can be attained. See, see, the lagos was the thing that the stoic philosophers that the that the Corinthian streets bowed to, that the that the that the Athens streets bowed to, that the Roman streets bowed to the lagos. But then there's a two-sided coin. There's a Jewish understanding of Lagos. And when the Jews understood Lagos, they understood Lagos um, with, in, the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to mean, um, to, to mean uh, all that God does to convey his promises. That which actually enacts God's promises. That which when God says it, the word accomplishes it. So on, in a two-sided coin, he's not offending the Jews and he's not offending the Greeks, but he's contextually throwing a term out there that everybody can get. And what's so beautiful about this terminology is to understand the depth of the word. See, the Bible talks about in the Psalms that the word, the word is eternal, the eternality of the word. Matter of fact, in Psalms 119, and I'm going all somewhere with this, so you got to stay with me. But in Psalms 119, it talks about the word having eternality. In other words, the word is eternal. It kind of, but what's so dope about the Jewish understanding of the word that's different than the Greeks' understanding of the word is that it's, it, they always knew that when God says something, it would happen. If God put his mark on it, if God said it, if God opened his mouth and said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And so they didn't see them like today some of our Guys, when they're in a political race, anybody, we're not talking about anybody in particular, so don't think we're a political church. But what, what politicians tend to do is they tend to up front give their word, but when they give their word, their word is usually has a lot of ambiguity to it. Like, you can take it about five different ways. And the reason why, see, the reason why they, 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 they don't, a lot of politicians um, want you to take their word five different ways is so that they won't offend anybody and so that, so that everybody would vote for them. But what's different about God that's different than the politicians is that when God stands at the podium of eternity and he says something, he guarantees that, that, that he wants everything to come to pass. And one of the things that's different is God doesn't break his word. Man breaks his word. And God counts us, counts us and passionately desires us to hold him accountable for his word. But then it not only says that in the beginning the word was, the word was eternally existing. He goes even further and said, and the word was with God. What he does is he does something beautiful. Instead of sitting the word out there all by itself, <laughs> he says that the word was in dynamic relationship with God the Father. He does two things here. 
He said, now notice he uses that was again, was with God. So that means if God the Father was, then the word was, but they weren't separate from each other, was in themselves in different parts of eternity. Now, they were coupled together. The word and God. And, and, and this is what the word wants to do right now. It wants to distinguish the word from God, but keep them in dynamic relationship with one another. See, this is, this is, this is very, very, very key in, in our understanding of this. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this, my car. My car has been having issues, but, but my car, I, I like when I, when I turn my car on. And, and, and the start, it starts up my car, and all of these sounds are coming out of my hood. I hear, I, 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 and I don't know the difference between, my brother's a mechanic, he's here, he, he'll probably correct me after service. But engine going, motor going, uh, when I turn on the AC, two fans start going. All, all of these things start making a sound. Now, my untrained ear, listen... All I hear is a humming under the hood. But what's so dope about this is each one of those things work together for the same goal. They make a sound that's harmonious where you can't tell the difference between them. But when you open the hood, you know that there are different parts to them. That's how God is. God, listen, God is distinct. The word and God are distinct. However, they work in holy, eternal matrimony with one another to hum, to get their purposes done. The word. So the word. So listen, again, the word was with God. So the word was in dynamic relationship with God. So he said, in the beginning, the word was. So it always existed. Then not only was the word was, but also the word was with God. It was in dynamic relationship with God, yet different from God, however, kind of equal with God. And y'all got to see, y'all, those of you who have read this before, it's not as shocking to you. But you have to understand for a person that's reading this for the first time, to hear this, it, their top is being twisted. Their mind is being blown. And then John says, I'm going to take it just one step further. He says, not only... What's the word was? Not, not only is the word in dynamic relationship with God, yet distinguished from God, yet has been hanging with God forever. But now he goes deep and he says, and the word was God. Whoa. The word was God. Now, We see that was, so that means that first we saw that the word existed eternally, that the word was in dynamic relationship with God, yet different from God, but the word was always God. But he already said that the word is distinguished in personality from God, yet shares something with God. Now stay with me because we're going somewhere with all this. Now the question we have to ask is, what makes God God. Okay? If if the word is God and God the Father God is God, 
then what makes God, God? I'm glad you asked. God has, God has, God has an interesting way of relating himself. He has something called his absolute attributes and his relative attributes. His absolute attributes, he can't share with nobody. In other words, if he shared his absolute attributes with any one of us, that will make us God too. His relative attributes, he doesn't share with us, but he allows us to, 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 to experience them and have a dumbed-down version of them that's not God. You with me? All right. So let's talk about God. God. The thing that makes God God in his absolute attributes is, first of all, that he is spiritual. That he is spirit. That means there is nothing that exists in what we can see and what we can't see that can hold them. In other words, a body doesn't do God justice. Spirit, that's why Jesus says God is spirit. It means that God is, is massive. I like the way the old preacher used to say it. He says he's too high to jump over, he's too low to get under, and he's too wide for me to get around him. Oh, I thought I heard an organ. That was a car going past. All right. So God is, <laughs> y'all don't know, boy, I got, some, I got these jeans on, but I do got a little Baptist in my bones. Um, spirituality. So, so, so God, listen, God, God is spirit who, who does, in other words, the theologians call it, he's a non-corporeal being. In other words, he doesn't take a form. In other words, God is, God is something we can't explain. However, he has light that emanates from him that sh the Bible says that he dwells in his dwelling presence in his attributes in an unapproachable light. That means that you can't just walk up on him any kind of way you want to. No, God is massive. God is huge. God is overwhelming. But what's so banging about God is he's so much of who he is that he's gracious enough to not allow the glory of his spirituality to wipe us out in this room. God. God. He's spiritual. Woo. Brother, get missy eye. Self-existent. Self-existent. This is what makes God, God. How many of y'all tracking with me? This is what makes God, God. He's self-existent. God doesn't need a drink of water. God doesn't need to get a tan. God doesn't need to lift weights. God doesn't need to eat. God doesn't need to use the bathroom. God doesn't need to read. God doesn't need to go to school. God doesn't need to shave his hair. God doesn't need to wash. God is self-existent. Listen, God, and this is another old saying I like, God is God all by himself and he, yeah, that's, that's self-existent. They thought the old church didn't have any understanding of theology, but that was deep theology. He's self-existent. He doesn't need nary a person in this room. When we worship him, we don't do anything for him. Let me say that again. When we worship God, it doesn't do anything for God. It does something for us. What it does for us is it makes us get out of our mindset and be consumed by his spirituality. Oh, somebody going to get with me in a minute. 
So he's self-existent. He doesn't need anybody. He, he's, he's all about himself. He's immutable. Say immutable. He doesn't change. God isn't an Indian giver. How many of y'all remember? Some of y'all just went right past you. God isn't, God doesn't change. God isn't flighty. His is him being immutable means has to do with his faithfulness. He's, he, he sticks in there. When the going gets tough, God doesn't say it's getting hard. No, God sticks right in there. He doesn't change. When he says something, he, and, 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 and according to what he decrees, based on his final goals of what he wants to accomplish in rebooting this whole universe, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Not only is he immutable, but then we go, there's too many to go through, but we'll go into his relative attributes. God is eternity. The eternity of God is usually understood as related to time. By definition, it means that God is not limited or bound by time with, uh, with God. There is no succession of events. So God, listen, in God being eternal, that means he exists in past, present, future, surrounds it, invades it, and sees everything all the time as present tense for him. God doesn't know what it's like for anything to be future. He doesn't know what it's like for anything to be past. The only thing that God of heaven knows is the present. <laughs> Somebody going to get that on the way home. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. We just, we just want to big up God today. I know we want some application and stuff, but let's just big him up a little bit. God, 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 listen, can you imagine knowing everything? That, that means omniscient. He, he knows everything, omnipotent and omnipresent. That means God knows all things actual and potential. That means if you said I was going to go to Temple, if I was going to go to U of Penn, and if I was going to go to Bowie State, if I was going to go to Howard University, or I was just going to get in the workforce, or I was just going to go into service, or I was just going to get married and have kids, and you chose one of those, God, listen, God individually, intimately knows what you would have done if you would have went into each one of those and what your life would have been, and he would have still offered it. God knows everything. So you can try to hide, you can turn off the lights, you can, you can try to whisper, but listen, God knows everything, even down to every mechanism of every thought that you think every day and every decision that you make. If you make another decision, he knows what the successing decisions would have been, the goal, where you would have been in life, and where you would have ended. He knows everything. So, so stop hiding, y'all. But then, it, 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 but then he goes on. So that's what makes the word God. God, the, the word, God, the word at this point, shares with God being spiritual. The word is omniscient. The word is omnipresent. The word is omnipotent. The word is eternal. The word is spiritual. The word is grace. The word is mercy. The word is love. The word is holy. The word is every single thing that God the Father is without being God the Father, yet they are united as being one. One. The Christian does not worship three gods. Even, even the cousin of Christianity, Jehovah Witnesses, would say that the word was a God. 
and that the word was created. The problem with that is if you face the verbal tenses in this passage, you're saying that there are two eternal gods that exist. Because if you say God has always been God and then the word was a God, if you understand that tense, then that means that two cats separate from each other eternally existed, which is heresy. That means it's, that thought is to be burned and raptured into a renewed mind to understanding the oneness. We focus on Deuteronomy 6. Yea, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's one dude. With three dudes connected into one dude. I got to (laughs) move. But then he says, this is, he does something different now. Which is a real short verse, but you can kind of zoom past it. He says, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Now, it seems like he's reiterating part of verse 1. But nah, the key, English students, is that pronoun at the beginning of the sentence. He. The word is not a it. It is not a that. It's not a this. But the word is a he. Now, what does is, what, what is him, him being a he have to do with anything? The word is a person. It is not a thing. Because see, listen, listen, what's important about that is when something is a thing, your respect level for it is not the same. But see, when something is a person, it changes your perspective. During slavery, they said that African, they said that blacks were three-fifths of a person. Being three-fifths of a person gave the slave masters the ability to not do what the Christian Bible teaches is a principle called imago Dei, image of God. If we're less than, if, a, if someone, any human, is less than human, it becomes automatically animal and gives us the right to treat it differently than we would something that was created in the image of God. But the, the civil rights laws and amendments that, that canceled out all of, all of those things gave the ability for people to acknowledge that blacks were what? Humans. And when blacks became humans, they, beca- they became people. And when they became people, you had to treat them like people. The word of God is not a it. It is a person. And anything less than that is to demean, demean and, de- and, and divorce it from his divinity. So the word has to be a he. Now we got to deal with him. Now we got to deal with him. Now we got to get face to face with the word. See, it's different when you can just read words on a page. But if the word is a person, then there's something else that has to change. And so he goes, he goes forward and I'm loving this. He says in verse three, I haven't given any of my points, so I'm sorry. Just the text. Verse three, he says, All things came into being by him. Wow. So he's already said that the word 
has eternally existed. The word has a relationship with God, yet isn't God the father. Then it says the word is eternally God. Then he goes from there to saying the word is a person. But now he takes it even a step further. And he says, all things came into being by him, the word. Psalms 36, 9 says, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. What's beautiful about this is the Bible is saying that the word was a co-creator with God. The word partook in creating everything that exists. When God said, let there be light, the word went and got light. When God says, let there be light, the word pierced into darkness and, and snatched the light that God was calling into existence, into existence. <laughs> In other words, the word is a partner with God. In other words, the word, we would see it as a flunky. But the word is more than just a flunky of God. The word is God's co-equal, yet he's submissive. And I know that's a bad word in our culture. But the word is submissive to the will of God. God the Father, he says, he calls the shots. He's the dawn of the universe. But the word is the dawn of the universe, his henchmen. And whatever the dawn of the universe says do, the word just does it. But what's so dope is, before the father says do it, the word has already agreed that it's banging the do and let's go do it. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Y'all still trekking with me, right? Colossians chapter 1. And it says, in, 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 in verse 15, it says, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that, the, that, that this person was born. It's just talking about rank there. Um, pointing, pointing on the firstborn being the first in rank to lead everything. But then it says, verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is, the word, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Ah, the word, y'all, the word played a part in creating it, and, the, and Paul goes so far as to say the things that the Father told the Word to create was for the Word. That was for him, and he gets to experience it, he gets to share it, and not only that, he holds it together. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But then it goes on and it says, and apart from him, nothing, nothing, nothing 
came into being that has come into being. So basically, John is saying that all of us owe our existence to the word. Every last one of us needs to big up the word because the word is the reason why everything happened. The word is the life bringing and light bearer. Uh, John, John is using light here. He's using light interestingly. He's using life first off to talk about um, that which allows men to recognize God. Jesus talks about life. And one of the things that he talks about here at the word being life is the word gives and births, look, physical life, but not only physical life, but eternal life. Apart from the word, nobody could have been physically born. Outside of the word, no one can be spiritually born. And so the word is the life giver. But not only does the word give life, that life is light. Because it says right here, it says this is the light of men. What does it mean for the word to be the light of men? The light means that it allows men to recognize God in the world. Light allows men to recognize God in the world. Now, the problem with that is that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, says every human being is born blind. That in such a way that the demonic unseen forces that Jesus created as angels as, at first has rebelled against him, and the first thing that the enemy does to every human being is pulls the skull cap over their eyes. And what the and what the what the what this enemy does is he covers the eyes of every single human being so that when God is revealing himself through the word by the light and the life that that light can't pierce it. In other words, every human being is is born with deeply tinted sunglasses that are spray painted with darkness. And so he's, but then he goes further. He goes further. He says, this light was the light of men. And he says, and nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. Then he says, and the light shines in the darkness. Shines in the darkness. Darkness, listen, is the world estranged and set in abominable opposition to God, spiritually ignorant and blind, the the spiritually dead, separated from God, fallen, dominated by Satan, the condition of the world darkened by sin, darkness. I saw a movie recently called The Descent. I don't know why I went and saw that movie didn't know what all was going to be in it. But what was crazy about this movie is there were these things that lived underground in a mountain. And they had been down there in utter darkness so long that everything about them adjusted to darkness. Their eyes adjusted to darkness. Their bodies adjusted to darkness. What they consumed adjusted to the darkness that they were living in. 
in this text is the same thing. Is darkness. All human beings, this entire earth, darkened by sin, has adjusted itself to the enemy's format. Every one of us, I don't care how much of the five coin sins of not doing drugs, of not smoking, of not, all of those things, you didn't have sex before, man. I don't care what one of those things that you did not do, every single one of us, if you didn't know Jesus Christ before you got here or at a certain point in your life, you were in darkness and enjoyed it. Matter of fact, Every one of us, our taste buds adjusted to the vomit of this earth. We, 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 we gathered friends based on it. We gathered our schools because of it. We, we, all of our taste buds, the way we make decisions, the way we watch things, the people, we, everything adjusted to what it means to be in darkness. Darkness. I don't care if you was a drug addict. Or you are intellectual that was so deep that you were agnostic and say God can exist and not exist. Both of them are just as jacked up. Don't care how poor you are. Don't care how rich you are. Every person is born into darkness and this world is going to the heat. It's going to the heat trap. And what's happening is it's going with gasoline draws on. Everything, everything is darkened. And now John is saying that the word comes to show a picture of what it looks like to be exposed to light. What it looks like, just just a commercial. Just a commercial. He can't show the full movie because that means all of us will immediately get judged. But he has to come in commercial form and snippet form, pop-up form, and blog form. Because if he doesn't, if he comes in all of his fullness, he'll wipe us out. So the light comes to pierce into the darkness to be able to, and what, and what, and what the light is supposed to do in relation to the darkness is give us a bigger picture of how things can be if we upgrade to his way of thinking and his way of doing things. It's kind of like, well, you know, I, you know, I'm from the Northeast. Most of us in here from the Northeast United States, but some of y'all from the South. But y'all remember when Southern rap wasn't popular, and matter of fact, the South didn't even have rap. And when you go down to the South, when you go down to the South and you talk like you was from the East Coast, I mean, everybody just gathered around you, um, you know, girls started liking you. Just oh, he different. He don't talk. He don't talk like us. You know, dudes down there. Yo, pass me the ball. They said, say that again. The ball. <laughs> talk about you when you go to the south. And what and what was so funny when we would go to the south is we would always see we would always see like the clothes was was not up to date. Like it was, you know what I'm saying, it was, some of y'all remember that. And, and, you know, they used to wear stuff that we was wearing three, four years ago. Jordans ain't even come out. It's been four years. They still wearing uh, stadiums and zips. Some of y'all remember that. Some of y'all are like, zips? What in the world? 
Some of us remember that. And what the, what the Northeasterners would go down and do is they floss their gear and they floss, floss their lingo so that it could make the Southerners want to be like East Coasters. And the more the Southerners were around East Coast cats, they even start trying to change their drawl around. You know, t- instead of saying talk, they say talk. Talk. You know, I'm talking about something. And what that was a picture of is what light wants to do in darkness. Light wanted to come from heaven to earth to floss eternal gear and an eternal language that if the Spirit of God pulls back the veil in order that the dark world can get a picture, listen, of what it's like to be a child of light. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says, you have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Therefore, you are no longer chapter 5 of Ephesians to walk as children of darkness, but to walk as children of light. If we're going to unplug from the world deeply, if we're going to understand the riches, the riches and coming from riches to rags, we got to understand all of the riches that is in the word and that word, that person, and we're going to teach it next week, is Jesus Christ. This eternal God, Jesus, said, I'm going to take my spirituality, I'm going to take my eternity, I'm going to take my glory, I'm going to take my grace, I'm going to take my mercy, I'm going to take my justice, I'm going to take my love, I'm going to take my wrath, and I'm going to bow to you, God the Father. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to stop being all that. Because everything would fall apart. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going, I give up my rights to independently be God without you. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of who we are in our essence. See, God, the Father, you can't come to earth. You're not coming to earth. And Holy Spirit, y- your time ain't yet. But what I want to do is I want to take us, my personality, and our attributes, so to speak, that I share with you, and I'm going to stuff them into a woman's womb, into a seed, without it getting fertilized. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to shield and hold back the reality of us. Just so that I can give our dark world, a picture of light. This is what God wants us to do, is to appreciate Jesus on a whole new level. Not this punk dude that we write pictures of. Not these columns and blogs that shut him down from all of his magnificence. Jesus is a beast. He's not no punk. He's, he's, he's eternal God in human flesh. He, he's, he's, he's all in all. He created everything. He, he, he came as a lamb the first time, but he's coming back as a lion with a tattoo on his leg. 
And when he comes back, he's not asking any questions. He's not asking any questions. You can try to punk him if you want to, but the Bible says most cats was running when he showed up in his unveiled wordness that was. <laughs> and he mounts a horse. He's going to mount a horse, tatted, linen ephod. My people heard this a thousand times, but I just love to give Jesus like this. A golden bulletproof vest. And all of the Christians, listen, all of the people that have trusted Jesus Christ, we will mount horses too. And we will have new bodies that will be able to withstand 1 Corinthians 15, being in the presence of God in flesh. Jesus Christ is going to have air conditioning ducts in his skin so that no longer will his glory, his eternity, and his deity be held back anymore. But in the fullness of who he is, it's going to go every which way, and we're going to be standing right behind him. This is the Jesus I'm talking about. And this Jesus is going to mount a horse. And the Bible says that the angel is going to blow a trumpet. And when this angel blows the trumpet, Jesus is going to go, and he's going to kick his horse, and heaven is going to open up. And the third heaven is going to shoot a portal from the third heaven where the throne of God is to the second heaven, which is the universal stratosphere and where the planets are and the stars are. And then he's going to split heaven's atmosphere, which is the first heaven. And he's going to be up on a cloud and he's going to get on. He's going to stand on top of the Mount of Olives. And when he stands on top of the Mount of Olives, Zechariah says the, 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 the Mount of Olives is going to split, slam into one leg to the left, one leg to the right, one to the east, one to the west. He's going to stand there. He's going to dismount his horse. He's going to show off his tattoo that him and only the father knows. And when he does this, we're going to dismount our horses and we're going to stand in 1 Corinthians 6 says we're going to judge together with him. And the Bible says that the war isn't even going to be a fierce war. The war is going to be so lethal that this cat doesn't get any spillings on his linen. His linen is going to be just as clean as it was when he was sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Oh, I'm not finished with it yet. But what Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to stand in a war and he's going to open his mouth and begin to cut and catch up with his mouth. The false prophet and all of those cats are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Then he's going to call cats from all over the place who've already existed and died. Put them back in their bodies. Open the books of life. Every person has a specific book videotape of every nook and cranny of their life so cats can't lie and try to wig out at the great white throne. And what he's going to do is he's going to put you up there have you standing smack out there and what he's going to do is begin asking you questions and and, and he's going to ask you questions and what you're going to be able to do is not be able to do anything because the bible says and they were condemned based on the deeds that they have done and they will be thrown alive into the lake of fire but then it talks about another group of people it says blessed are those Blessed are those who don't have a part in the second death. For to them, ah, for to them, they shall reign with him. When it's all said and done, Jesus is going to ball up the kingdom in his hand. And the throne of God is going to come down. And he's going to take off his diadem. 
And he's going to say, God, all of your enemies, I'll put the rest. Here you go, Father. All authority that was given to me in heaven and in earth, I give it back to you. 1 Corinthians 15. Ah. Hallelujah. And when he does that, Jesus, Jesus Christ, is going to reign eternally on the throne. And those who have trusted him, he says, come rule with me. Those who were in darkness, those who were lost, I died on the cross and got up off the grave to get glory through making the lesser stand with the greatest. Lord Jesus Christ. I feel how undeserving I am to reign with you. But we just wanted to focus on you, Jesus, as God. And maybe you're here today. And we don't, we're not going to take long, every head bow and every eye closed. If you had never heard of the Word who became flesh, who came. To live the life that we can never live. And to die the death that we can never die. And get up from the grave that we can never get up from. And on the cross, the beef that the Godhead has with everyone. Jesus Christ took on the beef, especially the one the Father had with us. And said... When he dies, whoever trusts in his death, their sin, their darkness, would die with him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, just slip your hand in the air. If you want to trust him today, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else wants to trust Jesus I see both those hands. We're not going to run it long. Anybody else? Anyone else? Well, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And if anybody believed that in their heart today, whether you raise your hand or not, you're saved. Jesus Christ crushed the beef between you and God and brings you into eternal relationship with the Father through him. Bottom line. So, God, we bless you. We lift you up. And we acknowledge, we acknowledge deeply that our God is an awesome God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand praise.